Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name's Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today is Mr. Tim Perkins. Perkins, how are you today, sir? Oh, we're going all surname, are we, Hasler? Uh, I'm very well. I'm very well. It's, uh, I've been moving house and so I'm actually a little exhausted. Yeah, why is that? Because you, 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 well, you, you live in a mansion and you have to move 20 bedrooms worth of gear. That's right. As an educator, I live in a mansion. <laughs> no, it's been a long time though. 22 mm. years in the one house and yeah. uh, moving elsewhere. A lot of so stuff. It's, uh, turns out there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. And the good news is your wife is moving with you as well. So it's well, not a... This in wasn't the, In the short term. <laughs> this wasn't a reveal to our audience that things had taken a turn for the worse. Yes. Thanks very much, Dan, for uh, clearing that well, up. Because it, it could have been awkward. There could have been listeners it, going, it hang on, Perco's on the market. And then you'd yeah. be getting all kind of <laughs> you'd have been getting all kind of inappropriate LinkedIn requests. All so right, Dan, let's just, get on with the okay, podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about belonging today, Perco, yeah, yeah, as it yeah. happens. Yeah. And um belonging, obviously, as listeners as listeners would be well aware, um, is something that we've been really digging into. We've been digging into it. I'd say for a, a fair while, like a fair few years, but of late, I'd say the past 12 months, 18 months, we've really been mm. digging into it. Obviously, we had um, Owen Eastwood on episode 79 um, of the of the podcast, and his book is called Belonging, and, and that really uh, whet our appetites to, to dig into that in the work that we do with um, not only um, schools and the corporate world, but also sporting world. It's everywhere we're working with, we've really... Um, engaged in that space and then pr- what probably a few months after that book you 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 came across a another book uh called on belonging yeah you actually sent me an article i'm not sure if you remember yeah. you sent oh. me an article that um was written by the the uh our guest today actually kim samuel um because yeah absolutely we've been looking at belonging as an element of self-determination theory for many years now um and you know, looking at belonging as one of several elements that uh, really focus, help people with motivation and engagement in the work that they do. Um, and so we've been looking at it as as a part of self-determination theory, but really over the last year or two, we've been looking at it as a standalone thing, haven't we? Mm, it's, absolutely, um, yeah. Exploring the impact of what it means for people, what, what we miss out on when people don't have a strong sense of belonging, and then how we can amplify a sense of belonging uh, in an environment, and as you say, yeah, we we interviewed Owen, which was uh, a really great opportunity. And then we came across Kim's book, what Kim's done, which has been particularly helpful for us in our work, is she's shared a framework for looking at belonging, uh, made up of four four elements, um, and we're going to dig into that in the conversation with her today. Absolutely. So um, Kim is an educator, a scholar, and she's um, a leading voice really in the in the global movement for belonging. She's the founder of the Samuel Centre for Social Connectedness and we are delighted to say that she joins us today. Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. So obviously in the past um, 12 months, I reckon specifically, as, as kind of the world has kind of snapped back or gone back to um, work or sort of gone back to trying to get some semblance of pre-pandemic um 
you know normality a lot of people are talking about belonging and it seems to be the uh, you know the the word on everybody's lips in the corporate world and and in sporting worlds you know how, how this idea of trying to bring everyone back together but you have been in this space for far longer than that you you've been thinking and working in and around belonging for you know a, a long time and i'm just curious to to tap into that to start with to say Tell us a little bit about how you, well, tell us a little bit about you, perhaps, and then how you um, found yourself um, sort of really digging into the world of belonging and, and, and what it means for, for us as, as humans. Well, as for me, I, uh, I come from Canada. I live between Canada and the UK. And I wake up every day and have been doing so since 1997, I'll explain why, with this image of a figure of a person, uh, don't know if male, don't know if it's female, um, doesn't matter, sitting all alone at the bottom of a well. And that's what drives me forward. And honestly, the next thing I do when I wake up in the morning is have a cup of coffee. That is planned. Seeing the figure alone at the bottom of a well isn't. And that just happens. And for me, that is somebody who is experiencing isolation. And if you don't mind, I'll begin. My journey is really isolation to belonging with a few stops in between. And I came to, to see that figure in 1997 when my, uh, my father who, who passed in, uh, in 2020 experienced a, uh, a brain injury that, to, to this day, we'll never know what caused it. He didn't get hit on the head. It just kind of happened. And and he was in a coma for three months. We didn't know if he would wake up, but he did very slowly. And when he did, he had uh, a lot of disabilities ranging from cognitive to physical and so forth that he hadn't had before. And he went to a, uh, a rehabilitation hospital and, uh, and that was over the objection of the insurance company. I don't know how this is in Australia, but for us in Canada and America, the age of 65 is often seen as a magic number and not in a good way. So my dad had just turned 65 and he was told that, uh, and we were told that he was not a candidate for any, uh, any kind of rehabilitation because he was 65 meaning he'd reached what they call the sundown years. So just to let you know, in the background of all this, right up to today is an issue for me about injustice. And that kind of sparks me to get really angry and want to do something about it. So the bottom of the well uh, image came once my father had been through rehabilitation and was much more aware of what he'd lost. And I realized it wasn't the disabilities that he he had acquired because he was just determined to to go on with his life and he was glad to be here. It was the isolation and that feeling that I can only describe as, and for him and my mom called his primary caregiver, having been his wife of over 40 years, uh, new job description, one identity, and that was really hard too. And it was as if they were both fading backwards into the mist of their own lives. And I got to see the figure at the bottom of the well. And it wasn't the disabilities. It was the way that he was being perceived because of the disabilities. 
even well-meaning people, they were kind of afraid. It seemed like to be to be around him. Maybe they thought they could catch that. Maybe they thought that they couldn't help. I still today don't have a good answer for that one. But that began the journey for me that uh, that this that this isolation thing, and I wasn't even calling it social isolation. That's what it is. That it it can really be paralyzing, and that it's completely unnecessary and preventable. And and then I looked at people who were, for example, experiencing homelessness, forced migrants and refugees, younger people, older people, LGBT people, and on and on and on. And I, I just had this idea that I wanted to try out, which is, is this more about social isolation and the way that we can turn someone else into the other than it is about always uh, honoring the inherent quality and equality of every person. And as you can imagine, 20 odd years later, that is what I think. My father passed in 2000. In 2002, I had a, a really great moment. I was introduced to Nelson Mandela and I could stop there, but it was what he said that really changed my life. It was in New York City and it's actually how I begin my book. And uh, I was one of many guests, I should point out, at an event um, honoring him and Gresham Michelle uh, herself, uh, first lady of both South Africa and Mozambique, and a fierce uh, leader, I would say, in terms of belonging. Uh, and she introduced me to her husband because I'd met her several times previously. And I... Uh, uh, be sorry, before before that, she said, how had I been doing since my daddy died, which had been two years before? And I, I don't really remember what I said. I would have said, though, I'm sure, how much I missed him. And then I looked toward Nelson Mandela, and I said, of course, you would know all about isolation. One would think, right? 27 years in prison, 19 years in Robben Island in solitary. And he said, no. I've never been isolated. And I'm sure you can sense my pretty good composure right now. Well, then I lost it. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> How could things go so wrong in five seconds or less? But I, I came back to it, and I said, not even in Robben Island? And he said, no, because in Robben Island, we were all brothers working together with a common purpose. I was never alone. And, uh, and he went on then to talk about a child uh, in a village with AIDS who no one will love or care for or feed and so forth and said, I have seen isolation and it is very bad. But I really want to emphasize the first part of that. I have never been isolated. And it wasn't, it wasn't like big fireworks went off or a light bulb came on or all these things. It really wasn't. It was just this quiet affirmation inside me. It still is, actually. It's still the same. This is what I'm going to be working on for the rest of my life. So coming up to 2023, um, which will be a relief for you because we probably don't have 12 hours <laughs> to talk today, which we did. I, uh, I've gone through a journey in those last now uh, uh, 20 or so years, which is to call out social isolation, which I can describe to you as the, I still would describe it to you as that feeling like you're sitting alone at the bottom of a well, 
but I could also describe it to you as a as a deficit of meaningful connections or relationships. If you look this up, there's there's a lot of definitions, and I don't think any of them get to what it feels like. And I think that ultimately this is this is really about what it feels like. Uh, this is all I think is my job in life is to hold that space intentionally for people who have not only experienced isolation, but have the, um, have the power and the solutions to overcome it. And this can be individuals as well as groups. So you're right. We see belonging everywhere today. I'm sure in your, in your schooling somewhere, me too, we've all had to learn about, about Maslow's hierarchy and belongingness is in there as a need, but I imagine belonging, uh, as a, as a right, as a, as a human birthright. And I can get into four Ps um, if, that, if maybe that's the next place to go. You know, everyone who's read your book uh, and has heard the story that you've just told about your meeting with Mandela, to, for which my heart goes out to you because that must have been a, a, a heart-dropping, mo- heart-sinking moment when you, you had your, your big moment with uh, such a special human and, uh, oh, yeah. and he says, no, in fact, you're completely wrong. I've never felt that way in my life. Um, I'm really interested in the idea of what individuals bring to the case in relation to belonging and I think your Mandela story really sums that up beautifully in that most people as was the premise of your question, most people would be absolutely forgiven for saying, I've been in isolation for 19 years, um, in solitary confinement, I've felt complete isolation. Mandela was a very special human being and therefore doesn't necessarily react the way everyone else might react. And he says, I've never felt isolated. And I'm wondering what your view is on what individuals bring to the story of belonging as opposed to what societal structures sort of allow for us in relation to belonging. Yeah, yeah. Well, about Nelson Mandela, what what he was, you're right, exceptional human being. But I think all of us have something exceptional within us. Uh, he said that he wasn't isolated because of his brothers there with him, all working together with a common purpose. And in subsequent years, I've had the opportunity to meet several uh, people that were imprisoned at different uh, stages with him. And everyone I talked to had that same sense of brotherhood. So I think that's extremely important. Nelson Mandela wrote, uh, he wrote about his loneliness almost from the start, which is different. Here we can see the shared sense of purpose. It, it's different. But in terms, of, uh, in terms of the individual, look, I think, that, I think that whether it's wiring or experience or even just how we come into this life with, with the things that, have, that, that, that are already in us, in our genetic matter, some people are going to be more resilient than others. And I think resilience is a very important quality to have. And I think all of our resilience is being tested uh, at this time. But beyond that is reciprocity. And, and I feel that the, of course, the individual, the, that each person 
having uh, their own identity or identities and being able to say what they are and have those that they're speaking to believe them and respect them for that is extremely important. But I'm also uh, really mindful of how, of how for each individual, how uh, interdependent we are on one another. And in my, uh, in my work, I often, and you may be about to do this, you may not after I say this, but I'm called out on how can you be talking about shared anything? How could you be talking about groups of people when it always comes down to the individual and the individual's rights? And I'm thinking, how could we not be talking about both at the same time? Because all of us are a product of the experiences that we have. And so when I think about individuals uh, who are feeling isolated and, uh, and they'll tell us, right, you can't really, pieces of paper are helpful, but you can't really measure how someone's feeling. They, they will, you know, in a workplace, you can have the, all the best metrics, right? But if someone says, I don't feel like I belong here, then it's kind of hard to and, and, and kind of hard on the one hand and critically important to make sure that person doesn't feel it was their fault. So I, I'm working really hard to join up the individual and the community to say that we're much stronger, more resilient together, which is not to say that you can't, uh, we can't all be the most popular person. We may not want to be. But it comes down to at least having one person who is there for you no matter what. When I'm hearing you talk, Kim, there's, so, there's a lot of passion in, um, in, you know, that comes through. And, and you've used the word, I think, already about, you know, you, you felt angry, um, you know, when, when you sort of first came to this this work. And this might be a bridge too far, perhaps, but it's, it sounds like you're an activist in the way that you work. You want to go in, you want to shake things up, you want to hold space, you want to go into these ivory towers and say, hey, you need to listen to this, which leads me to the tension which I'm guessing you must feel, right? So everyone wants to belong, but my guess is not everybody wants everyone to belong, right? And I'm wondering, yeah. and I'm wondering yeah. when you go into that, that space and you're how, how do you reconcile the fact that you could well be talk, talking to people who have maybe you know they're complicit or they've been very quite deliberate in setting up structures which may well be with well-intentioned but I, I'll give you an example I, I you know we do a fair bit of work in education and you know the, the, there's an, a school of thought which says um, you know, kids with um, special educational needs shouldn't be in mainstream school. And then there's a school of thought that says, no, we absolutely need them in mainstream schools. So, and, and just to be clear, I don't have the expertise to, to make a call on that, but it's just an example that I see. How do you square that circle when you're talking to people and it's, it's kind of, you don't feel like it's, if it is getting through, it's being bounced back, or sometimes they're just not even seeing the wood for the trees? Well... You've just explained me very well to myself. <laughs> yes, this stuff totally frustrates me. I feel that the uh, this is pervasive. What you just said is pervasive, but do we know it's pervasive? I mean, is there any wisdom 
I love the example you gave. Uh, is there any wisdom in, or, or any history <laughs> or any anything that says that, that kids with uh, um, intellectual and developmental disabilities, psychosocial disabilities, we could go on and on, uh, shouldn't be mainstream in a mainstream classroom? Well, I'd say no. And I would also say all the other kids are really missing out. They're really missing out on getting to be learning with people that uh, that have different uh, abilities. And isn't that the you know the kind of adult that we want to raise today? Not to say I hear this so much. Uh, I'm a Canadian, proudly so. Uh, I also hold uh, a nationality in the UK proud of that because of my parents and I'm still called you're not one of us what does that mean not one of us it's like it almost seems like a club to which I wish I could belong or people like us and I just uh I find those kinds of things mildly irritating but they don't affect my ability to walk around and do what I do so what you're talking about uh is really about about the the othering that affects people's ability to do what they they legally, morally, any way you want to slice it, have a right to do. And it isn't, it is, it used to be a tension, by the way. It used to be a tension uh, for me about, well, should I really just be working on bringing people together and calling out happy things? I'm thinking, no. One, that's a little boring, but two, but two, what about when there's a picnic? Who doesn't get it? Who does not get invited? Who's not going to show up? I always think about who's at the back of the room and isn't speaking. I all, you know, I think maybe they have something really interesting to say. So when I think about what can activism bring to it, I would say everything we can bring to it. Let's bring it to human rights, but let's also bring it to, I hope, our responsibility to each other to at least try to create the conditions for someone else's belonging, even if we can't give it to them, which unfortunately we can't, but we can, we can help to create the conditions for it. Kim, um, the passion is, is so wonderful to hear. And it reminds me of the phrase, and I can't tell you who said it, you'll probably know, but if you're not, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And clearly, you're paying attention here. Um, like you, I've spent quite a bit of time in Africa and I used to be a university lecturer and take my students mm -hmm. to work with a community of internally displaced people in Kenya. And we were there on one particular trip with some um, undergraduate primary school teachers and uh, we were having a little bit of a sharing circle one afternoon and one of the girls was very upset. She was crying and she said... You know, I said to her, what's what's going on for you? And she said, uh, I was in a <clears> – they were staying in homestays with local families and she'd been in a car with the the, uh, the father of the household where she was staying. And they were driving down the street and an, a, another car came the other way and the two cars stopped side by side, wound down their windows and the two drivers just had a chat with each other for three or four minutes in the middle of the road. They drove off and she said to the guy, uh, was that a friend of yours or a relative? And he said, no. She said, oh, who was he? And he said, I don't know. And she said, why were you talking to him? Well, we drove past each other and we smiled and so we stopped and chatted. 
and she was wailing in, in tears and she said, I don't know the name of my next door neighbour in Sydney in Australia and I get in my car, they get in their car, we drive off, we don't speak to each other. I've lived there for a year, I don't know his name and here are two complete strangers. And I just want to come back to something that you said about waking up because one of the things you said in your book was our society must be woken up to what it's forgotten. And I'm really interested in that concept because like you and, you know, myself and lots of others, we've seen in some cultures that that awareness is still very strongly there, very community-minded um, people. And yet there are elements of our world society, uh, perhaps where you are in London, perhaps where we are in Sydney, where we really have drifted off into a, a state where we're no longer sufficiently aware uh, and maybe it's exactly people like you and we're going we're gonna to touch on your um, particular framework for belonging in a moment but it's, I'm really interested in this concept that you've shared that we really need to wake up. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you also for sharing that beautiful story which which pretty much says it, says it all, all the things that would have happened in good ways and not have happened in bad ways to allow for those two apparent strangers mm. to connect because they placed a value on that. And uh, it almost makes me, or does make me think of most religious traditions, which is not to say I'm an expert on them, but... Um, I got to do a, a panel some months ago with uh, uh, Father Eric Varden, who's both a uh, a monk uh, and a bishop in Nor in uh, he's in Norway, and he gave us the example of in monastic communities. I haven't been in one. Uh, you probably haven't either. So I think this is really worth going over before continuing, which is it's about the stranger at the door mm -hmm. and that when somebody he uh, father eric lived i think it was 12 years more or less in a monastic community uh and somebody comes and they they can be uh covered in mud i think was the example he gave but even more you don't know who they are your your responsibility is to welcome them in, uh, I, I'm going to say Christian hospitality because he was giving that example, but it's then said this applies to all the, the faiths and I think could apply to people that, that don't practice a faith. It's about hospitality. It's about what the, um, he first identifies himself as a farmer, uh, writer, poet, Wendell Berry, who I interviewed for the book. He, uh, he talks about this as what are, what are people, what are, what are people for? And so, the trust is there when someone walks in the door, which wouldn't happen at my home if someone just walked in the door. I want to be clear about this. But it's this, this thing that I know I could do, which is to welcome everybody as, as equal. That really resonated me with me when he talked about it. And then also, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, the stranger is no longer a stranger. And... We are so far away from any any of that. 
I contrast that with my with my daughter who told me at age 15, mom, I'm going to live in the country where there is no paved road. I mean, this was, and she does <laughs> with her family and knows every one of the neighbors and they buy eggs from the person across the street and, and so on and so on. And I think about, I think about uh, bringing this back uh, to all of us. I don't mean to sound like, like something that you could see on any greeting card, but it is about what do we, what is it that we value? What do we value? And so we can say that we value, I will tell you, I value community. I value, uh, I value have, being there for people. I value having people there for me. I want, I want the best for everyone. I feel we're here with a bigger purpose. Okay, but it's the gaff analysis <laughs> for me too. How far is what I just said away? And I'm trying to narrow the gap for myself. It's a lifelong thing away from, from what we practice. And so when we see somebody suffering, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Or when we think about belonging, yep, yep, I'm for equality. Or when we think about what's the role of government, it usually, it usually starts and ends with economy, right, and defense. And I think about if we're able to wake people up, it doesn't happen through how to change policy. It does for me. But it happens through, remember, remember when you last felt that you really belonged? And it's a question that I ask people. And when I say that we forgot it, why I say that is not because I have any memory of 10 lifetimes ago. It's because I know that historically we, we really need, needed each other to survive. Maybe one day that will be argued again in terms of the effects of of uh, global warming. We do need each other to survive. We know this. We, we used to live in communities of 100 and, around 150, which uh, a scholar called Robin Dunbar, who's, who's uh, written several books on the topic, says that's the right number. We didn't used to travel much. Uh, we didn't think about when we were growing up, how can we get away from here? You know, and, and, and we all, or a lot of us are in cities now. So things have changed a lot demographically. But I also really believe that if we can wake people up to how natural it is to feel that thing of belonging and to inspire in them wanting to make a change, uh, hopefully within themselves. But also, I want to say, I don't know the name of every neighbor on my street, and that's in two countries. I don't. Uh, I think I'm reasonably pleasant when we see each other, but uh, I, uh, I admire people like my late sister or my mom or my daughter. It skipped a generation with me. My, what I find is my strength is I can get in there and fight for things. And fighting for a wake-up call in the world, that's okay with me. So say, say we've had the wake-up call and say we're not trying to square the tension between people who don't want people to belong, right? So yeah. let's say we found, we found our people and we're going, this is great, and we've identified the gap, you know, as you just put it. So whether this is on a societal level, whether it's on a, a much smaller, you know, workplace level or even, you know, even a family level, um, 
Tim and I have been doing a lot of exploration of belonging for a fair few years now. But when we came across your 4P uh, model, um, we, to be honest, we just ran with it pretty straight away. Not because we knew what it meant, because we didn't. But what we're interested in is what did other people make of it when we threw those 4Ps at them? And we've, we've, we've found some fascinating responses with groups of where they take the four Ps. It's been, honestly, it's been, we, we've had everything from tears to light bulb moments to people hugging to people. It's just been. Oh, wow. It, you know, it's just been, and, and just to be clear, we're not, you know, we, we, we do no more. We do no more than just say, we've read this book and, and, and Kim talks about these four Ps. What do they mean to you? Well, I, I shouldn't speak on behalf of Tim. That's how I've been doing it. Um, but I'm curious um, if you could just share the origins, if you like, of the four Ps, like what they are, where did they come from? Like, was it just intuition? Was it repeated experiences that you saw that you were able to code? Were you leaning on other research? We're just keen on the origin story of that. And then sure. if, if you're intro, if you, if you, if you can just sort of extrapolate just on, on, on each of them, just for the listeners. Yeah. Well, but, but welcome, welcome to the team, guys. I love that you're doing this. <laughs> Makes me want to come over there and uh, and uh, join forces. The four Ps came to me actually not as four words starting with P. You might be relieved to know it was it. They came to me a little bit like organically, to be honest. You know, when you work away at something and then and you really work hard and then all of a sudden you see something like you see something in your head or in your imagination and it's like there it is that's just about how how this came to me and the right to belong came to me the same way it's just how it goes and then you're like wait a minute and then you can you come with the framework but it came out of also many years of working on social isolation to social connectedness and thinking, I don't think that's, I don't think that's enough. And it doesn't matter if I replace that with inclusion and exclusion and uh, uh, so on. Uh, It it, it just described one part, but I'm going to begin with that one part because I think it's, it's huge. And that's the first P gentlemen, as I think you all, you well know is people. And the people part is simply about when we have connection to our community and those around us, we form relationships that are rooted in reciprocity. And it's not just about the kind of simple interaction or one-way interaction. It's really about some kind of active recognition about the, uh, the worth of each and every human being and starting with our own self. In my construct... Being connected to people is is one of the best ways to be connected with oneself and to know who you who you are. It's creating safe spaces for authentic connection. It's programs, mentoring, things that connect people from different backgrounds, promoting social inclusion, reducing stigma. And on the other side is that thing that we also know what it's what it is to feel like when we're not connected to people where we're doing the best we can, but we're in a workplace and we think I'm working here, but I don't, no one's reached out to me. No one's come over spontaneously and just wanted to chat. The second one is place. Well, 
place can mean uh, a virtual place or space. Absolutely. But for me, it's that feeling of being at home uh, wherever we are. And that's really tricky today, isn't it? Because home, home can mean, just like jobs, can mean so many different transitions in one's life. But it's that feeling of belonging in a physical space. And I, I go a lot to nature in this one because I just see nature as, we're nature too, so positive. And, uh, and feeling a connection to something and, intu- and an intuitive commitment to preserve it. For me, it's, it's the ocean or it's the forest. Um, that's it. But it's also feeling safe at home, whether I'm home alone or there's others there. It's that feeling of rootedness. The third P is power. Uh, when we belong, we have influence over the systems that govern us. We have agency and voice and choice. We know that our voices are heard. We have control over our own destiny. Now, that could sound very flowy, but I actually think within that comes down to reimagining what power is for. We could look at Nelson Mandela. We could look at Martin Luther King and, and countless others that I look at as great leaders because for them, power was about empowering you know, others, using, using that power and that influence to change a situation, not by saying, I'm at the top of the mountain, but by saying, uh, if there is a top of the mountain, then let's bring everyone here, but more likely maybe come down from the top of the mountain and learn that most of uh, what led you on your journey was everything you learned from others, including Nelson Mandela, great man sustaining himself in prison by his connection to others. The fourth one is purpose. Uh, It's this idea that there's something bigger than ourselves, like a North Star to get us out of the bed in the morning, a personal sense of why. And and it also... uh, I want to add, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be purpose. And my purpose is to run this or to do this. Maybe your purpose is, is, uh, is to just do the best you can with whatever circumstances you're in and, um, and to be there for others to the extent that you can and, and hold them to that too. Imagine if, we, if that was our baseline purpose, how different the world would be. We um we've we've been using this to get people um to explore, you know. So you've explained it to us, you know, how you see it. We've we've found it really interesting to get other people to explore that um with 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 their team members to give them an insight right into who they are as people. And yeah. We what we've been um interested to see is that, and this again, this is only I'm going to give you a fifth P here. The, the belonging pizza, right? So, my, but the point is, oh, everyone we've like, gone, hey, we've on. gone way past the SH, SH blank tea sandwich here. Exactly. We're, we're talking the belonging pizza. Everyone likes pizza, right? But everyone yep. might need more or less of the toppings, right? So, some people, <laughs> you know, on a pizza, some people like more pepperoni, others, etc. So, what it has been quite interesting to see rather than saying, right, you know, everyone that. needs a sense of people, place, power, purpose, but 
how much what does it feel like to you you know so you know when we're yeah. working in a small team for example you know like boiling it down to agency and volition in their role there are some people who want to be given lots of free reign others less so because right. but to them it's really important that I know you've got my back others you know I'm not here to make friends it's good to get on but you know so it's been really it's been, it's been interesting to well, and it's given people a language and a lens I think yeah. to be able to explore this rather than just this nebulous term belonging because I think I know yeah I think some I think belonging is obviously more obvious it, it's more obvious in its absence than it is its presence and so when you're trying to talk about how we bring it to the presence I'm just, I just wanted to share with you we found the four p's incredibly help I was going to give you a sixth p powerful in order to in order to do that it's been yeah it's been um it's been really useful for us I love I love this belonging pizza it's also you can like you can visualize it right it helps if you can visualize it and and I totally get what what you're saying is that the different toppings that we would like. And even I thought not everybody even wants crust, but there has to be something that's holding it together. I'm having all kinds of pizza thoughts right now. But it, it is also, I love that you're working with educators and teachers. Um, I, can't, I want to know more about what they're saying. But it's, it's about having that in there to be able to ask the question, it's maybe almost the most important thing, right? To get people to ask that question of themselves and and to think to think about that. But it's also really important to say that this is something that people can, everyone should create and choose for themselves. It's why I do my utmost not to fall into the trap of being prescriptive to people. Well, Kim, tell me five things that I can do. It's like I'm still working on the five things that I can do at any given time. And I, I just also add, and this this may sound kind of uh, as a contradiction, but I don't think it is. People also get to choose when they don't want to belong, where mm. they don't want to belong. And and that's a choice as well. But this, I, I love, I, uh, I would love to come to Australia anyway. And I would love to, if you're up for it, uh, if it fits, to do to do something together. Because what you're talking about, to actually go talk to people and get their their uh, their feedback. I mean, guys, that's how we build this. I mean, talk about something that can only be done with lots of people. I mean, this is how we we build this. And and uh, you know, that would be really cool if you ever thought that could work. I think we could squeeze her in, don't you, Dan? I think we could, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> good, I think good. that would add a certain amount of gravitas <laughs> to us talking about uh, Kim Samuel's four P's model. And ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> open the curtain. There she is. Yeah, yeah, we could make that work, Kim. You let us know when you're in Sydney. Um, yeah. Can I just ask you, um, I, I heard you talking uh, in another interview and you were talking about this misconception that belonging is an easy word. And mm-hmm. you're saying that it's the opposite of easy, that indeed it's actually a lot of work to build belonging and, in fact, we have to work on it all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, doesn't it sound so easy? I mean, mm. you everywhere you go, people say to me, Kim, I'm seeing belonging everywhere. And I'm like, okay, um, it's, it, is, it is work like most of the things that matter in life. It's also work that we have, we could do within ourselves. I mean, 
we read, I read so much about you only, you first have to belong within yourself before you can belong with others. And I think, yeah, okay, but what, is that fair? Is that kind or even just to the person who doesn't feel like they belong saying, but I can't do this by myself. So I, the thing is, you don't have to do this by yourself. That's what I want everyone to know, but we have to get people to, to value it. And of course it's a lot of work. Um, However, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot of work. When you, I think both of both of you in our time together uh, have both both kind of said the same thing. Don't we kind of feel this? You know, don't we kind of know what this is like? Do we do? Are we more aware of it when we don't have it? It's hard to get people, I find, to value something or to work harder at it if they're feeling it. And so this is all you have to do <laughs> is mm. to ask them, do you ever remember a time when you didn't feel like, they don't even have to tell you what it is. Everyone can remember a time. And if you can get that feeling, it's not to make people feel sad. It's just to feel that. Then you don't have to say, well, what would I know about being homeless? What would I know about uh, being a refugee? What would I know? And we could, you could insert whatever you want. What would I know about not having my birth registered and wanting to get a job and an education? You don't have to have experienced that. You know, and you'll think of usually go go back to the thing that hurt the most, whatever it is, what that felt like. It has two sides. The other side is, what does it look like when we don't belong? And how long does it take that for that to affect us or our kids at school? So I could even make the argument on the, I don't like to make the argument on the what about me, but I can do that too because because these systems that are broken uh, are making it really hard for people to not be broken too. And I think that could Mm. be any of us. I think that empathy piece that you're talking about there, Kim, that that idea of you don't necessarily – you know, you can metaphorically walk a mile in another man's shoes, as as your man Nelson Mandela used to say, in order to understand that you don't have to have been there, um, but you can uh, empathise. And um, just as we wrap up here, Kim, I, I've been uh, doing a bit of reading and uh, listening to uh, some work about this concept of mycelium, the idea of a fungal network that... Uh, sits yeah. just below the surface that works as a as a, a connecting web and force to actually communicate between different plants. You talked a bit about your love of nature and mm-hmm. your examples of using nature. And I think I'm right, Dan, in saying that, Kim, we've done nearly 100 episodes of this podcast over the last four or five years and I think you're the first activist we've ever had on the podcast. Is that Correct? I'd say so. Yeah, I think you're the first activist and I think uh, my son's an activist and I'm really I'm really fascinated by activism and people who get outside of themselves to better society and that's what I see you doing. And so my comment to you, and I need you to take this the right way, Kim, because I don't want to compare you to a fungus. However, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I, I'm seeing you as this mycelium that is joining <laughs> Uh, people to start to think about this concept yeah. of belonging in a way that we really recognise our shared humanity and 
um, that this sense of belonging through uh, the idea of belonging as a person, belonging in the places that we are, having access to power um, and also really being in touch with our purpose. Um, I personally want to say thank you for the work that you're doing in this regard because we've seen the effect that it's having on the people we're working with. So thank you for sharing your work with us. Well, I, uh, I thank you. And if I may just uh, give a bit of fungal feedback uh, before, nice, before we nice. end. Uh, which is which is that on the on the cover of my book, you, you've probably noted that there's two trees, and uh, that was I can't even draw stick people, but I described this to an artist, and this is what came up. And those two trees are different species. You can see that they're in different seasons. And most important, though, for me is look at the roots of those trees. Mm, and the and branches. Those, and the branches. But mm. I'm going to just go to the fungus for a moment, and I'm going to talk to you about the trees and the roots. And in there, and this is, this is not a, a fictional account of what trees do, uh, the roots of those completely different trees are growing together. And I love trees that have lateral roots and that are above ground so we can really see this happening. Mm. And for me, it was important that the trees were, uh, the roots were at least as beautiful as the trees. And so back to your mycelium and the fungus, actually, that's how trees, uh, did you read the book, The Hidden Life of Trees by any chance? Maybe I know not. about it. I haven't read okay. it, but yeah, um, that idea of the communication, I, yeah, yeah, and that and that mm. it, and, and there's other sources, but I thought that was really good about how trees communicate with each other, mm. and so in the way that you've portrayed me uh, as a as a fungi, I'm I'm deeply honored. <laughs> I also wanted to say that I I bet I'm not the first Thank activist. You. <laughs> yeah. Props that could have gone you. so badly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was thinking about it. He's going to say, oh, no, and things were going so well. But I actually, <laughs> you got the right person. I actually love that you said that. I bet I'm not the first activist that you've had on the show. Um, but what an honor for you to consider me among them. Uh, I. It's the same way that when I teach or what we're speaking about today, or the images I wake up with and just why I just try to do my best every day is that I'm just passionate about this. So I'm not sure that, that I, there's lots of things I care deeply about. Right. But with this one, it's, it's a passion and it's also uh, tied up with what I think is justice and not justice. So I'm really, if I'm, you know, I like being called an activist, but, but I, in the end, honestly, I'm just, um, a passionate messenger of a powerful message. And I just try to honor that every day. So I think there are lots of other activists, but I'm, I'm very proud to be included in that list. Well, if anyone is keen to hear more of your message, where would be the best place for them to find you um, online? Obviously there's the book in bookstores, but you know, which, and we'll put a link to that in the, the show notes, but where, where okay. else can people connect with you? It's uh, at Kim Samuel, so I'm K-I-M-S-A-M-U-E-L underscore belonging, at Kim Samuel underscore belonging. And I guess people could also, if they wanted to, Google or however they get it, uh, Kim Samuel on belonging, 
uh, something, something will come up, and, and uh, I appreciate. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna scour. I'm gonna scour the internet, Kim, and find all the relevant links, <laughs> and I'm just gonna put them all in in the show notes. So, you know, you could be bombarded. Who knows? Yeah, I think um, all that's left to say really is, um, you know, thank you so much for giving up your time uh, this morning, England time, to uh, yeah. to yeah. chat with us been a real treat for us so thank you very much for for coming on the show no thanks to both of you i feel like we've known each other for a long time and uh this was a great con- at least for me anyway this was a great conversation so thanks to you the book is called on belonging and as i mentioned there we'll make sure that there is a link in the show notes to uh, get a copy there and also all the other links where we can find kim on instagram and and linkedin and the uh, samuel center for social connectance as well we'll also make sure there's a link there for that as well but perco you know as we said before our interview we've um, spent a fair amount of time playing um, in the space of belonging and obviously as we spoke about in the interview particularly around the four p's um after chatting with kim what's what's front of mind for you well, front of mine is my concern that I've upset her by referring to her, comparing her to a fungus. Yes, but uh, that was a, that was an interesting move, but it seemed to go all right as it turned out. I got away with it more than she got away with, you know, telling Mandela that he must have felt isolated in prison. Um, yeah, look, I, I find the work that she's doing really fascinating. Um, she comes from a very social activist, structural. Uh, how do we change society so that those people who miss out, um, we become more aware of their needs and we we start working together better as humanity? Um, so uh, yeah, I found it a fascinating conversation. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, um, it was really a cool opportunity just to share back with Kim how we've used her work um, and and what it's stimulated for us, and it's always. You know, we, we, we have, because of, by virtue of the, the podcast, we have the opportunity often to connect with the people whose work has informed ours. And it's always a it's always um, a great opportunity, I think, to sort of, for us to learn more, for us to build on our understanding and our thinking. And, and, and certainly when somebody whose work we're leaning on is, is enthusiastic and receives the way we're doing it, you know, she mm. receives it well. Um, yeah, that, that's always, that's always nice. Yeah, absolutely. She was, um, for someone who, you know, has previously hobnobbed with Nelson Mandela to say that she'd like to uh, do some work with us around her work, mm. uh, I thought that showed great humility. And um, and also, you know, considering that she works in very specifically in the field of inclusion and belonging, uh, she walks the walk as well mm. as talking the talk. Absolutely. So, as we always say, If you found this conversation worthwhile, there is a fair chance that someone you know would find it worthwhile. So please feel free to share this as far and as wide as you can in your networks. Also, if you could take a moment to like the podcast, comment on the podcast or subscribe to the podcast, that is the most powerful and free way that you can support this podcast because it just gets it out, gets the algorithms working over time and just 
spits it out to unsuspecting listeners who are yet to come across the habits of leadership. If and, you- and for those of you who are a bit like me, I like the podcast, but I think what Dan's actually saying is there's a button you can press oh. that says, I like the podcast. Oh, good work, Perko. Like the podcast. Perko, you are a techno whiz. Well, that's exactly right. I like what you've done Being there. as young as I am. Yeah, I really like it. In fact, I love it. <laughs> well click the button <laughs> where's the, the button? button I come from the button <laughs> if you've got any questions that you'd like us to tackle in an like upcoming... where's the button for example <laughs> just give us a yell just give us a yell no if you've got any questions for an upcoming Q&A then please um, head over to habitsofleadership.com click on the podcast page and you can leave us a question there perhaps you'd like to suggest a guest for an upcoming episode or of course if you just want to find out a little bit more about us and the work we do again head over to habitsofleadership.com and all the information is there so until next time thanks so much for joining us Perko thank you very much Daniel and thank you for listening take care take it easy 